It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, for the thousands in attendance and the millions around the world wishing they were live with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lee Silver. Woohoo! Love that introduction. Welcome to the show, Lee. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. You are a talented, talented man, a award-winning author, and have released 26 books at last count. You're a very talented speaker and an entrepreneur. Have I missed anything? Oh, don't stop. Keep going. I love this. This is great. No, that's fine. That's fine. This isn't about me. It's about trying to find some way of sharing some inter- interesting advice for the listeners so, and viewers. Well, I think you, you'd be interesting, and this is why we had, had you on the show, Lee. I came across your work inadvertently through some obscure reference via Steve Seabolt, who's a, a professional keynote speaker who I've mentioned on other podcasts, who referenced one of your books. Do you know which book it was? I think it was self-promotion for the creative person. I think. Is that right? Yeah. Do I win? I win. Yeah, yeah. What do I win? Tell me what I won. But it's astonishing that that, uh, that you were referenced in such a prolific um, online course or a book that he released. And, and it was only the conversation that you and I had that revealed that to you, which I find fascinating. What's the book about? So... If you're a creative person, you could be an artist, you could be a musician, you could be a writer, you could be a lot of different things. But most times you're not a marketer. And so I thought, well, how can I make marketing? That's something that's kind of ugly. Ugh, I don't want to sell myself. That sounds terrible. So I figured, let's look, look at it as another outlet for your creativity. Self-promotion doesn't have to be even about you. It's just about what you can do for others. So I just try to take this tired topic and give it fresh life and make it work for people who are creative types and not by design salespeople. Unlike yourself. <laughs> it was shameless and I'm proud to admit it. As, <laughs> I bet you're a salesperson, but yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have changed my opinion on sales over the last decade or so. And I've realized it's become a very important part of, of society but the thing that interests me at the moment is I've been burdened and I use the word very loosely because I'm very blessed to write a book and you've written 26 books and there's a lot of people out there that haven't written a book or even thought about it and it's such a daunting prospect to them. How did you get started? Uh, You know, I want to say I think a lot of people do think about writing a book. I think everyone 
has a book in them. I think everyone probably has one really good book in them. It could be their life story or it could be something that they've been around or done or been a part of. So I'm not saying that most people do have the dream of writing a book, but you're right. What's why, why do so few go from, I really want to write a book, but don't actually do it. And so um, I'll just put this in a quick story form. So I gave a, I put on a kind of an event. I had a publisher, uh, an editor, a literary, uh, literary agent, a couple of other authors. And it was this free symposium at a bookstore. So at the end, I'm packing up, ready to go. And this woman comes up to me. She says, I want to write a book about my life. I'm like, okay. You know, I hear this all the time. But, but she started telling me about her life. I thought, wow, you, know, you really do have something there. There's something. And she had a message she wanted to share. So we became friends. And she was 25 years older than me. So over the... That was probably when she was 40-something. Anyway, we kept in touch. And I always wanted to see her. How's your book coming? Oh, you know, I'm too busy doing this, or I don't know where to start. So I would give her suggestions. Why don't you just jot down some ideas on index cards? And then you could kind of sort them out to see where what what you have. You know, maybe they'll you'll have a bunch of the, that go together, and that's a chapter. And, nah. I said, why don't you just speak it into a recorder? You go on a long walk, talk it through. You know, talk about your life in then you'll have some you'll have a caption someone could trans anyway i give her all these ideas finally she called me and she says i'm dying i have just a few months left to live and she, and she made i went to see her so she put her hands on top of my hands and she says i want you to write it and i thought that's all that's a lot to ask but of course so we would meet every Wednesday and she would just tell me her life. All it was not in chronological order. I had, I had notes. She, she lived for four and a half to almost five months. And so we met every Wednesday. I took notes and I got to the, hear all of her stories and then she passed away. So then I had all these, just an enormous amount of notes with no rhyme or reason or order. And so I said, well, I'm just going to start small. I'm just going to, Right, the last thing she told me, I said, who do you want to dedicate the book to? And she told me her son. So there's one page done. I started there. And I thought, well, let's see. Let's do it in chronological order. That made it seem, even though she had given it to me that way, I put it back in that order. And that helped kind of, anyway, what I'm getting at is I took this overwhelming big thing and kept breaking it down to where it was just something I could do in a day or a couple of hours. And I just kept doing that over and over again. Before I knew it, I was done. And the book is, I'm probably most proud of the book called Sunshine because it's, it's a period. There's a lot of times it takes place in different periods. And I researched, she said she owned a Carmen Ghia car. I'm like, do they really make those at that time? I did a lot of homework to make sure it was authentic. Anyway, I turned her story into a novel. That also helped not having to make it exactly accurate. And in the end, the point is she just couldn't get it done. She went and got help. She found someone else to help her. That's one way to do it. Breaking it down into small bite size, easy to manage little pieces is another way. And the third is you just got to imagine how great it'll feel when you're done. People asking you to sign your book, people lining up to, to hear you speak. I mean, there's such a great thing that comes from writing a book. So that's my advice. Sorry. That's a long answer, but there you go. Oh, I think it's brilliantly in a, it's heartbreaking that that woman never had an opportunity to see her book in the final form, you know, like, and isn't it a reminder to us all to, you know, carpe diem, as they say, seize the day. You know, uh, since you asked, you opened the door. The last Wednesday I saw her, the next day I was doing a book signing, not far from where she was staying. And she was on oxygen. Her 
legs were swollen. She was at the last, you could tell she was towards the end of her life. And I was doing it at a bookstore that was on, and they had the book signings at the second, on the second floor. So her son carried her up the stairs in her wheelchair and she sat there and she would want, she, she didn't want to miss it. She came to support me uh, on the, probably the last or second to last day of her life. And that's the kind of person she was. So you're right. I envisioned us sitting side by side, her signing her book and seeing, you know, but the end of it is there's a record of who she was, what she did, what she believed, passed on her message. And to me, I think that's what she really wanted was a legacy and to make a difference. And then we did that. I'm getting a little verklempt. So, but yeah, she was a special person. That's really great. And like, since the book's come out, like how, how long ago was, was when the book was released? Let's see. It actually won an award for best memoir uh, in 2016. It's been a few years, but um, it's one of my most requested people. Hey, will you come and tell the story of Sunshine? Because she really had a life where she was abandoned by her parents. She was, you know, in uh, adopt, not adopted, but she was in foster care. She made millions, lost millions. She was divorced, widowed. I mean, she just had this up and down life. But in the end, her thing was the power of now. Like you said, just be in the moment, carpe diem, be, be present and uh, live your life to the fullest and have no regrets. And she said the only regret she had was not writing a book at that's when she put her hands on mine and said, you're going to help me with this, right? I'm like, yes, I'm going to help you with this. So there's, there's lots of great reasons why you should. And going through the process now, like I'm about 4,500 words into what will be, I think about 40,000 words is about the, the average book. Does that sound about right? That's about right, yeah. And, and I'm really, really loving the whole process of it. It's And I don't have any – I've never done any courses. I've never studied writing or – I've read, I've been a ferocious learner for a long time, but it's, and, and when I get a chance to like read sections of it back that I've written for feedback to Anna, my partner, right. Or Carolyn, my mentor lady. And then the response that I get initially is just like, it's really inspiring. So I'm a big fan and I've got a very tight t- uh, deadline to get this book completed by. And I think having that urgency is helping me, a lot. Yeah. No, I, I feel like if, you know, some people say they write every day and they get up at seven and they write from seven to 10, which is, I mean, it works. At least a lot of famous writers say that, but when you're on a roll, like you sounds like you are just go, go, let the train run. Cause once the train stops, it takes a long time to get it going again. So I love that you're, you're all in, you got the deadline pushing you, you enjoy the process of writing because really what stops people is everyone says, ah, oh, it's writer's block. It's not writer's block. It's fear. I'm afraid. Is this going to suck? Will anyone read it? Will it, you know, will it ever sell? Will I get a publisher? Will it get in a, a bad review? So many things about then down the road. When you, if what I'm hearing is I'm, you're in the process, you're enjoying the process, that's important. You can't focus on the future uh, other than the good stuff. <laughs> Someday I'll, you know, I'll be signing this and people will love it. But I will say another thing that's good for writers is to read their work aloud. And it's nice that you also are getting feedback on it. That's a lot of writers don't know if it's any good until, well, a year later, you know, or when you see, you get the manuscript out with all the little red pen marks like what were you thinking 
<laughs> Why did you write this? This is terrible. <laughs> did you read this to learn? <laughs> yeah, right. It's and also, I was going to say, that when I think about, you know, people who are studied, literate, they are perfect writers, it's crap. I love someone who has an authentic voice. It hasn't been ruined by all these classes teaching where you can't start with the word and. Oh, yeah? Watch me. I love that you are, you know, not, you read and you know what good writing looks like because you're a reader, but you are not, you're not, you maybe will break a couple rules that will make it even better than just the same thing everyone else does. So I'm giving you props. So oh, no, no, I appreciate it. Well, I, I'm coming from an angle and I have been reading it out and recording myself and listening to it back because I want to practice my, when I record it for Audible, right? And mm. and as a speaker, I'm I'm in the process of doing Roger loves uh, his his vocal coaching, and and Vin Yang, who's a guy I just released on a podcast the other day, he's a communication expert. I'm studying the art of mastering this stuff so that I can get my message across more effectively. And so when I write it in book form, I want to tell stories and do it in the same way that I would if I'm delivering a presentation, which sort of leads me to my next question with you, Lee, like of all the, the hats that you wear, what's your favorite one? If you have one. Well, um, in the intro, you left out designer, which is something that I did. Well, I've done a lot actually, but it was something I, I, I went to college and I'm, I was studying economics and business. Cause I thought that's what I should do. That's, that's where the jobs are. And I hated it. And I wasn't very good at it. And I finally just gave in and said, I love art. I want to be an artist, but still practical. I want to be a graphic artist. Well, somebody that makes money at their art. So not that, not that fine artists don't make money, but I want it. So long story short is as I've been speaking for so long since 1991, I think is when I gave my first paid speech till today. Um, in the old days, there were, the graphics where you take your fingers and make animal things on the screen. You know I mean? There was no PowerPoint, but once PowerPoint became a big part of what speakers use, it was perfect for me because I get to do my design stuff. I do elaborate slideshows with, you know, multimedia and, and I love getting up in front of an audience and giving a speech. I don't get afraid. I get excited. Put me in. I want to go. Who wants to go first? I do. Let me go. I love being on a stage. I love the after when people come up want to, Talk to you for the most part. That's good. Sometimes creepy, but that's okay. It's all, but all the whole, the whole, what makes it great is you get to travel a little bit. You get, I do get to do some art and design. And then I get to get up and get a speech. But at the end of the day, what it's really about is getting a letter or, a, well, maybe not a letter, an email or uh, somebody even saying, you know, your story about your dad or your uh, message of what you had to say really affected me in a positive way. That is, I don't know what other professions you get that. I'm sure like a doctor or something of that nature, but it is, it's just, so, it's special. It means so much to know that you made a difference. That's, that's what all that other stuff, the multimedia and all that is just to make it so interesting and, and compelling that people pay attention and you drive home a, a, an important point. And then it, they, it resonates with them. They do something with it and you've uh, had a positive impact on the world. Well, I think what you're describing there is that, that contentment that in a conversation with, with this other communication expert, we were trying to describe how you describe contentment 
and and it's and we kind of came to this conclusion that that what we do right in terms of the speaking and the communicating or and that whether it be books or whatever is that by improving someone's life that you get that good feeling back so it's almost a selfish thing but it was a really interesting thing to think about what is contentment well you know i've been doing this for so long and i've had a lot of friends who are still trying to find themselves and so a lot of times i'll have a seat someone what are you up to now doing what i always did doing what i love to do can't tell you how much i enjoy what i do and i will stay up all night if I have to, to make that slideshow just right. You know, I'll fly across the country, across the world, if it's the right audience and I can make an impact. It just, I wish it, it it pays okay. It's not, you know, there's probably other things, but to me, I will take a lesser paying fee if it's the right group and my message is the right message. So I'm I'm in a good place and I, I love what I do. And I, fortunately, some people love what I do, so. It's all good. Well, you've been doing it for long enough, so you, people must be enjoying what you're doing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be getting paid for it in the, in the way. That's 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 good to know. Thanks for that pep talk. Yeah. <laughs> what's 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 left for Lee Silver? Like you, you've got this illustrious career career that's far from over. What do you want to achieve next in your life? Well, you'll see as you go forward. There's been some highs. So, like best selling book. Uh, like people, I'm triple booked, you know, and then it goes the other way. And so it's an up and down. It's not a straight line going up. You know, there's a straight line going up. That's how you want your career to be. There's this jaggedy line. That's how it is. And the space in between, that's why we drink. That's so, um, <laughs> a, it's a graph. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's the, the, to get back to where it's the right message at the right time for the right people. And so one of the books I wrote was called the wild idea club. And it was about how to get ideas from the bottom of an organization to the top safety numbers, a big group of people get together to come up with an idea and how to promote it to the boss to get it implemented. That really resonated with people. So every once in a while have one of those really breakthrough ideas. So what's next? I'm not sure. I'm experimenting with a couple of, of things. That's the best, way to do it is to just put it out there and see what people think the the market or your audience or your manager your agent your booker will tell you nah it'll never work (laughs) or i love it so that's where i'm at trying to always reinvent myself because you're only as good as your next idea well i was going to ask you about these ideas and the ones that have been really successful did you know from the moment that, that it came into your brain that you were like, yeah, this is it. And then there was either a few haters or a few doubters or whatever. And then eventually it came out and you're like, I knew that the whole time. <laughs> if only see, I'm an optimist there's whatever. It's like, I don't know if you, your audience knows about Charlie Brown, but he was this cartoon character who this girl, Lucy would always hold the football for him to kick it. And at the last second, she'd pull it back. But he always thought not this time. And of course you did. Uh, I always believe it, I wouldn't go as far as to create something unless I had that. I don't even know what the word is, but it's like a, it, you feel it in your stomach. You're, you're thinking about it all the time. You, you, you want to vomit almost. It's so, you know, like butterflies in your stomach. It's a, it's a feeling. You get a feeling. Like, okay, this is it. So that eliminates the things that just like, eh, someone told me 
that during this time where we're huddled in our homes, that I should do um, a recess for kids, you know, hey, recess with Lee. I'm like, that's a lovely idea. <laughs> Not feeling it. I woke up the next day, I'm like, nah. But other ideas? I'm like, yes. So that's the beginning is uh, I have to believe that there's something there. And then, it, you know, you just put it out there and you don't know. I, the answer is I was surprised by a couple of things that hit. Like, huh, did not see that coming. And other times I'm like, what the heck? This is genius. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't know. So you just keep doing it. Yeah. And I get excited, you know, fresh. I mean, there's people that give the same speech over and over and over again. That's not me. I'm always trying to customize it, personalize it, change it up, add something more relevant that's happening in today's world. You know, always fixing it up to make it better. And then also trying to, you know, 26 books, they're not all about the same thing. They're all about different things. Something new that excites me that hopefully enough other people are interested in learning about or want to be entertained by, that's what I want to do. So to answer your question, I don't know what's next. Well, I kind of do, but... Maybe I should run it by you, your audience and say, what do you think of this, this, or this? But it's more internal. Like, I have to know this is going to work. This is, or I feel like this has got something. So there you go. And I'll, I'll tell you kind of what one thing that I'm toying with is a book about uh, products that have lasted a long time, years, but yet they haven't changed or they've been minor changes, like pizza. Pizza is still pizza. It's like a dough with sauce and but yet how it's made and delivered it's been improved a little bit at a time right so i'm i'm trying to talk about compound improvement little improvements stacked on top of each other make a big difference that's what i'm to answer your question that's what i'm working on now is taking all these products like ketchup it looks just like it looked years ago why is it still popular um they found other uses for it they've they made it in a bottle that is you know it's upside down so the first part of it isn't all watery. You know, little improvements over time make a big difference. And that's true in business for products and services, but it's true in our lives too. You know, you make little improvements uh, every day a little bit better, and in a week you're seven times better. Give I, or take. I love that. And I actually did catch some of that on a podcast that you're on. Uh, must have been relatively recently, I think, when you were launching your most recent book. Um, the Jimmy and the kid or Billy and the kid. Yeah. Yeah. About yeah, baseball. That's a fun, fun. That was a fun book to write. Yeah. Is it, a, this is a fiction piece of work. It, it's factual fiction. Some of it really happened. And then I just tweaked it and I wanted to make people cry. I want to make them feel something. So yeah, I took characters that sort of existed and I did horrible things to them. I'm just kidding. It's actually a really inspiring story about a girl who wants to play baseball with the boys, but she finds it a little challenging. But yet, in the end, I'm not going to give it away, but uh, let's just say she plays baseball. All right, all right, I'll say it. That's a great story. And so the, the process of you writing this, this kind of book, like do you just start writing and just verbally or just type diarrhea and then it just naturally flows or do you need to be quite structured in the way you deliver this? Like explain to me that process. Well, um, so my wife works in human resources, right? And so some, she has to talk to people. I'm sorry, you're fired or whatever. Right. So sometimes she comes home and she uses that human resource voice on me. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, you're using your HR voice. She can't help it. Right. She can't help it. When I'm, when it's right and I'm writing, it just is. I 
it just the voices it just all flows i'm not fighting it if something if i if it's strong it's struggle something's wrong in my opinion that's just how i am so once i get started and that's the hardest part you know just to get the thing going once it gets going sometimes i'll know how it ends sometimes i'll have if it's nonfiction, i'll have structured chapters um but for the most part it's free-flowing it's just same with speaking, you know, I'll get done. What did I just say? I maybe you get an out of body experience where it's just like you're channeling it. I don't know how to explain this. I'm from California, so like, dude, like it just like flows through me and it's like comes out, and I don't even know how, but it's like gnarly. So that's kind of how that works. Sorry, I identify with this. I did it because I like I had no other way of doing it, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just gonna. I've become quite good at becoming in tune with my body, and that that comment you make about going with your gut feeling some of the stuff that we've been talking about in terms of that bonding feeling when you are able to create a story and connect with someone there's an actual dopamine and serotonin or oxytocin um release oxycontin oxycontin what yeah that one (laughs) hillbilly heroin whatever they call it (laughs) florida has a prolific problem with it i've seen the documentary it's real i think that it's like I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. I think religious people are afraid of going to hell. I think spiritual people have been there, but I think I think with regards to this whole gut feeling thing, I can't explain it either. Lee. I think that once you eliminate a lot of the white noise, whether it be through poor nutrition or drugs and alcohol. I've certainly feel like I've become a lot more in tune with it all and, and going with my gut has been really rewarding to this point. So maybe that's what you're talking about when you get that intuitive response going, just leave that out. Oh, that's right. But, uh, you know, but a bing. Well, you know, if you've ever taken a test and you're like, I don't know the answer. So you guess. And then you finish the test. You got a little time. You go back, review the question. Like, you know what? With more thought, I'm going to change my answer. It's almost always wrong. You were right the first time. And so I hear people going through like 20 drafts of their book. Goodness, 20 drafts? I mean, I, I write it, I polish it, maybe a couple more you know, edited things, like four or five times. Because to me, and I'm not knocking what you said, but you know, sometimes speakers are so perfect. They're like, I'm going to turn to my left now, and I'm going to raise my hand and make a very important point. Or writers, it's like so they're trying so hard to just put in all these big words and authenticity is I think what resonates with people more so than perfection in my opinion. So, and I I will say about channeling things um, when my, my father passed away rather suddenly and we were having a celebration of life for him. I'm also a musician. Oh my God. Another thing he does. Uh, So I, uh, I was like, I gotta write a song for my dad. It literally it doesn't sound, it's country Western. So it's country-ish. I don't listen to country music. I don't know where it came from. It's beautiful. It turned out, it doesn't, because I didn't write it. It somehow went through me, but I don't know where it came from. It just came out. I'm like, wow, that's really good. Did I steal that from somewhere? No, it's, it's all about my, literally about things my dad and I did. And long story short is uh, the best work is usually something that you almost don't put your left brain in, it's more your right brain, or you just, you try and just get it right the first, get it out, and then don't polish it too much, but, you know, make it 
fix the little imperfections that need to be fixed, but leave some in there. Yeah. While we're on the topic, Lee, would you be so kind as to share that story about your father? Because it's come up a couple of times now, and I think people are probably curious about what happened. So uh, I'm the oldest of three sons. Uh, worked with my dad of, when I was younger. Um, did a lot of stuff with my dad. And so uh, as I as started to speak, I was becoming more popular as a speaker. Um, well, my Grandfather had a very successful business. My father worked for him. Then my grandfather sold it out from under him. So my dad was really mad. So he moved from New York to California. And then my dad started a business, became very successful. I worked for him. And then he sold it out from under me. So I moved to Hawaii. Like, I'm going to end up in New Zealand at some point here. Um, <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so um, my dad had sold his business. I when he, because he's like, you know, you really are a good writer and you, you have something important. Say, Go do that. But in between, I opened a chain of surf shops. And so my dad helped me with that. He would be the guy in the back doing ding repair. My dad is successful businessman. just wanted to, in his retirement, just fix surfboards. Anyway, so we were very close is where I'm going with this. And so one day uh, he fell from a ladder and landed on his side. He was trimming the trees to the painters were going to charge him for it. So he's like, I'll do it myself. And he fell. So he couldn't breathe. He couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. He was in bad shape, but he wouldn't go to the hospital. So my brothers and I said, you know what we're taking to the hospital. So he fell on a Thursday, Friday morning. We took him in. And by Friday afternoon, the doctors had run tests and they said, well, your dad didn't break a rib or punctured a lung because that's what we thought. Your dad has stage four lung cancer, has maybe a week left to live. And so... Uh, I uh, I just wrote my dad a long letter about all the, you know, I'm so proud of my dad and proud to be his son. And, you know, just all the things I remember, you know, tell him, you know, you, you set me up for a great life. And the last time I saw him uh, was on Sunday because I was going to go fly out to give a speech. And so my entire life, my dad never said, I'm proud of you, son. Not once. And in, even in the last time I saw him, he never said it. And so he passed away. Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning. So at the Celebration Life, where I wrote the song for my dad, um, a guy came up to me and says, you know, your dad was so proud of you. He was always talking about his famous son. And I guess my dad would buy my books at retail, retail, and pass them out. This is my son's book. I had no idea. So, you know, sometimes it is the little things. The things that I wrote in the letter about my dad were like going to take the outboard engine of a boat to get repaired. I don't know why that memory stuck with me more than like a trip to Tahiti or something, but it did. And so it was the little things. And just that one person taking the time to come and tell me, hey, your dad was proud. He must have known I wanted to hear that or needed to hear whatever it was. But uh, it made a huge difference because I have no guilt. I said what I need to say to my dad in a letter. And I feel good about knowing that my dad was proud of me in the end. So it's a... Yeah, so you know, I'm trying. I have three. I do have three kids. I have two. I know about two kids, two sons, and I'm not overly profuse with my praise, but I do make an effort to tell them uh, how great they are. Poor, it's a doozy, Lee. I've got to tell you, it's it makes you respond a lot quicker than you would have had to, I suppose, and gives you an appreciation for how short life can can be. He was seventy. And so I thought that was young, 
<laughs> 70. So I, he should still be alive today. It was June 7th, 2000, June 10th, 2007 that he passed away. So he, he would have been in his eighties, but still my mom's still alive. Wow. Do you have your guitar? Could you play the country song for us? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. And no, no one. I actually, in this particular band, I was the drummer. And so even though I did write it on guitar, I, I'm a drummer in this in that configuration of that band, which was great because I put my sunglasses on, I put my hat low, and I just sat there and cried the whole time we played that song. Um, it's It's just one of those... One of those moments, you know, you'll never forget. Oh, it's a great story. It really is. And, and thank you for sharing it with us, Lee. I think, you know, the more stories that people feel comfortable sharing will only empower people. And, and you know, like, like the lady who you wrote the book for, now is the time to make that decision to do something. Now is the time to do that thing that you've always wanted to do. Like life is such a, a short, precious resource that there's no point in living in fear. And this is one of the things that I've really come to terms with in the last few years. I think I have no fear of death. And, and, and you know, when I write that book, I don't give a fuck what people say about it in, in the sense of, you know, like I'm the one getting up here doing it. I'm the one that's actually going through the process and, and until you're up on that stage with me, you got nothing. You got nothing. And I, was a, I used to talk a big game for a long time and wouldn't follow through with a lot of stuff. And now I make it a point to follow through with what I'm going to say. I'm not 100% on it, but I'm fucking a damn sight better than I was a long time ago. It and here we are difference. at 11 something at night, my time, <laughs> because you followed through. I'll attest to that. It's, it's exciting, you know, like it, it, it gives you, an, and I'm sure you, and I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this as well, I feel like every day is really exciting living this way. What, what are your thoughts on that, given your... <clears throat> I mean, people would think we prepared because you sent me the, you know, in baseball, you just throw the ball right down the middle and hit a home run because your questions are like you're reading my mind. It's kind of freaking me out a little, actually. But uh, we didn't prepare for this, but um, I wear this uh, bracelet just a cheap little rubber bracelet made out of trash found on the beach. Uh, some, these two surfers turned them into, they're selling these bracelets. It's a reminder of me to live in the now. And so I will think about things that I've done in the past. And I'm like, God, what was, you know, it just bugs me. It just really could ruin like a, a nice moment. And then I'm worried about the future. Like what, you know, what's, what's going to happen next. When I started to just, remind myself to just don't worry about there. You can't change the past. You can't predict the future. Just do the best you can in the moment. Be a hundred percent in with your kids. Be a hundred percent in with an interview. Be a hundred percent in whatever you're doing in that moment and be the best you can with what you have right now. That, that was a life changer for me because I had a lot of guilt from the past and a lot of fear of the future. And when you get rid of that, you know, you really kind of get rid of a lot of brain clutter. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. What What do you think, given that that shift in mind or that that reframing has allowed you to achieve? 
in your life, Lee? So when I, um, when I, when something happens that, you know, I'm like, Oh man, I can't, I wonder if this is going to go South. I just, I really literally, I will just snap myself or I will take a deep breath and reset. Okay. All right. Like, like really what, even if it did happen, what are you going to do about it? It's in the future. Don't, you know, or this is in the past. Are you going to call this person and apologize and make it right? Or are you going to let it go? I mean, basically I'm either going to fix it or forget about it. And I'm either going to do the best I can now to set myself up for the future, but I can't change. I can't predict what's going to happen. Why worry about it? That freeze. It's like in Seinfeld, when he stopped doing this one thing, he got really smart because <laughs> he's focused. George Costanza was like a genius. He was not doing this other thing. That's how it is. It's like, wow, I have like more capacity in my brain for what's, what I'm working on because I'm not, I mean, you can't help it. Something will, will drift in from uh, of something from the past. It's bothersome and, or some fear of the future or worry you might have. But if you just reset, just let it in. All right, <sighs> moving on. I mean, I know it sounds so stupid. It's so silly. It's so remedial. But I'm telling you, it really worked for me. That's all I can say is I know for me, it, it was a huge changer because I'd be angry all the time. You know, I feel bad about things in the past or I'd be angry about what might happen in the future. And all that was happening in the moment. And now I just have the moment and whatever's going on. And I'm in a much better place. It's, it's really good to hear, Lee. And, and, you know, anyone that is listening to this or watching this, that, that how much time it frees up not worrying about things that are largely never going to happen. It's so it's such a such a waste of energy and time that you can focus and be way more productive than other things. And and I'm guessing you didn't get to this point by yourself. Like, who have been your major influences in your life that have helped you along this this journey? Do you think? Well, you can tell by my age when I name these people. But I I remember living in Hawaii and I bought a book. What was it called? Oh, it was it's called The Winner's Edge. Winner's Edge. I'm like, oh great, it's about sports. I'm going to read this. Yeah. It was about goal setting like by Dennis Waitley. I'm like, wow, that's, that was the beginning for me. I'm a huge goal setter, being off the charts. I mean, it's, it's, I take it to another level, but that's been huge for me. That's, that's my secret. That's my secret superpower is, is goal setting. But I got that from Dennis Waitley. And then about, um, the, you know, about oh, facing your fears and overcoming your fears, uh, I got that from Anthony Robbins about being better at business. I got that from Brian Tracy. So basically the way I look at it is I have a, like a brain trust of people. And I would say, well, what would Brian Tracy do in this situation? What would Tony Robbins do? Or who, you know, what would, what would Harry Potter do? Okay. I'm just kidding. But but I, I have, you know, I read and listened to Zig Ziglar so many times I could quote verbatim and you know, it helps me, you know, it, it helps me to solve problems because I've, had the advice, not one-on-one, but feels like one-on-one. When you're in the car, listen to a tape, it's like just you and Les Brown. You know, Les is talking to me about his mama. And I'm like, I love my mama too. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a self-help guru junkie. I love it. Give me more. I'm, a, I'm astounded at the number of people that aren't. Like it's, it's single-handedly changed the, the direction of my life in a way that I'll – never be able to really sort of fathom, but how can you have a bad day when you're listening to someone who's an expert at spreading good news? 
was like Zig Ziglar, my favorite. So uh, upbeat and positive. But I would say the one person that I, I read this book every year, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That to me is the best book ever written because it's, it's got the parable stories, you know, it's, excuse me, it's not heavy handed, but man, is that powerful stuff. Hang on a second. <coughs> this podcast is brought to you by COVID-19. Let's <laughs> 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 read my last words. <laughs> I think Zig Ziglar, I, I've often said, often said to people that if anyone was going to convince me to become a Christian, it would be Zig Ziglar. And I know he's dead now, but I just love listening to his, like, uh, his amazing tapes. And I, I'm fortunate enough to have been um, in contact in, in the Speakers Association in Australia with a lady, Lisa McGinnis-Smith, who was actually mentored by Zig Ziglar. And this is, this is one of the stories that she shared with me, and, and I don't think she'll have any problem with me sharing this, but he was a, a really avid runner, if you remember from his talks. And he, Golfer and runner, yeah. Yeah, and he got to a point where he was really good at it and to a, to a point where I think he it would, would have been able to compete at a college level and do really well as a 50-something-year-old man. And because and I, I, I'm a runner and I, and I listened to his per-mile pace that he would set. It was really, really amazing. But I remember Lisa saying that, she once approached him about going running because they were staying at the Ziegler compound or wherever they lived, right, just for a few months. And she, uh, and Zig said that he couldn't or he wouldn't run with her by by themselves because he never wanted to put himself in a position where his integrity could be compromised. That's the level of, you know, like standard that he set for himself, which, which – to most people, it's probably a bit over the top, but you kind of get it when you listen to the way he used to interact with people. Yeah. No, I can see that. He, he man of convictions. He, I mean, he even sounds like a preacher in, in, in talking the gospel of sales or the gospel of being a better person or even his, uh, his great t- set of tapes on goal set. I mean, whatever it is, I'm in. <laughs> I want that Kool-Aid. He's, he is, he's the real deal. And I, I think, you know, I talked about authenticity when you're writing. And I think uh, <clears throat> as a speaker, I, I was sitting backstage with a fame. I won't tell you who it was, but a famous speaker. And it just was nothing like I had hoped he would be. He was the opposite. But when he went on stage, he was like, well, he came off the same grumpy. I don't know. I was just so disappointed. And I just said, I don't ever want to be fake, be real. And so, so backstage, I'm crazy. And on stage, I'm crazy. And I'm crazy with you. But that's who I am. I'm crazy. But <laughs> that's, it, it is what it is. Um, so uh, with uh, Zig Ziglar, he was the real deal. Because I did get to meet him. And, and he did? Uh, yeah. He, he, they, he took a whole group of people around to give speeches. Uh, it's like a... Like you'd, you'd go for the whole day and <laughs> I'm such a bitch. I, uh, I went in the men's bathroom and I put little, uh, little signs about my particular book and taped them off. <laughs> and somehow he found out about it. He's like, I want to meet this guy. And so, uh, that's how I got to meet him. He was both a little angry with me 
we're trying to take money from him, you know, his sales, but also impressed that uh, I would go to that much trouble. When I tried to go in the women's room, well, <laughs> that's when I was arrested. <laughs> so I went only male audience, but there you go. Wow. What, what was your take on, like, how much time did he spend with them and what sort of, did he impart any wisdom? Did he get an opportunity to talk to you about anything? Well, I was handcuffed, so it's kind of hard to talk when you're handcuffed. Uh, no, he was not, not that. He didn't give me that much time. But um, but he did, you know, he did say something. You know, along the same lines, I wrote a letter and I went to the fanciest part of town where all the, I mean, multi-millionaires, then multi-millionaires, they'd be billionaires today. Big, huge estates and mansions. And there's a little, in the middle of Rancho Santa Fe, there's this little town with cafes and restaurants and shops and stuff. So I just wrote this letter saying, you know, I'm an upstart and I really would love to, um, I hate the word pick your brain. So I said something like, I'd like to buy you breakfast and, and talk about you. Anyway, so I put this letter in all the nicest cars. Sure enough, I get a, I get a call, you know, same thing. Like you got a lot of nerve. He's like, sure. I'll meet with you. And this person happened to work in publishing for times mirror the, LA Times, you know, big, big time. Yeah, he's retired. Yeah. So anyway, so he became my mentor because I wrote a letter, had the, whatever you want to call it, the chutzpah to put it on the different windows. And um, I was just thinking to myself, what, what you said to me over the phone when we talked recently, you said, I'm going to do this over no matter what. This is what, this is what I'm going to do. That's the difference, I think, between the people who make it and those who either kind of make it, but they're not really... It's that extra something. And I know you have it, and I know your listeners probably are passionate about something enough that they would be willing to go write a letter, put it on a car, and hope to not get in trouble and, and be willing to put themselves out there and say, look, I, I, I would love to – because I my philosophy is those who are super successful feel guilty, and they want to give back so they can ease their conscience. And I want to receive. It's a win-win, right? Right? I, it is, it is, it is. <laughs> that is genius. That is such a clever idea. What was your, do you remember what your strike rate was in terms of people coming back? Uh, it was, I got a couple calls and um, a couple people were just fascinated by my story because I put a little story of how I was trying to re At that point, I was trying to reinvent myself. I had already had success in business, but I was moving into becoming a writer and a speaker and I didn't know much about it. And I was, I wanted advice. And so of course I went to Toastmasters, which uh, I give a lot of credit to. I know you have those where you are. And that's, that's a, that's a great organization. Even if you're not wanting to be a speaker, just to be able to think on your feet, to be able to put a couple of sentences together, it works. It's just a great group. So between my mentor from there and my mentor from my little adventure into Rancho Santa Fe, <laughs> I'm sure half thought they got a ticket. Dang it, I got a ticket. Oh, just a letter. <laughs> I'll give him a call. So, uh, but that that does take a level of commitment, I think, to, to do something like that. And I, I, I kind of got the funny thing is I kind of got away from that. I need to get back to that. I'm gonna do it again. In, in my old age, put on young people's car. I want to help you. Let me help you, please. <laughs> You're gonna be what? <laughs> What is, Go ahead. Uh, what is this paper uh, thing? I'm taking over your show. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, man, this, I, uh, this is, I'm learning stuff here, left, right, and center. I, I have some of the best relationships in my life 
through showing courage and tenacity. And I think the universe rewards you, whoever, whatever God is or whatever, I think rewards you when you are brazen and just are willing to, to go that next level. And I think that's what's happened to you. And my mentor as well, I met in an elevator in my old office oh. in like a, a probably a 10-second lift ride. I said hello and answered differently when she said, how was I? And then we ended up, you know, um, a year and a half later. And the same week I met my partner, you know, in the street. And that happens a lot. It doesn't, the people that really sort of have that amazing meaning in your life don't come super duper easy, I find. I I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that, that I like about you and that I think attracts me to people that are, uh, either successful or on their way to being successful is that you're not selling anything because you truly believe what you're about to tell me or what you're about, what you want me to do is beneficial to me. I, I don't, and you're so, even if it's not, you're so passionate about it that it overcomes my objections or my worries or my fears. And I think that the people that get to that point where others are attracted to them, like you were just saying, there's something the way you carry yourself, the way you answer a hello, the way you do things, because you know what you have to say and what you have to offer is so important to them that why wouldn't I want to share this? Why wouldn't I want to approach somebody I don't know? Why wouldn't I go that extra step? Because I'm doing them a favor. And hopefully you really are. I mean, I'd hate to buy a timeshare and realize I just got scammed. <laughs> what the heck? This guy was so passionate. You told me, Boca in the summer, it's brilliant. It's only 120 degrees. You know what I mean? I was like, gosh, I, he's, he's so genuine. But <laughs> if you really are offering something of that, and why wouldn't you be, right? Why wouldn't you be offering a book or a, a, a willingness to speak or wanting to be a mentor or a mentee if you didn't feel like it was a beneficial thing for the other person. That's how I look at it. I hope other people do too. Yeah. And it's the thing that I find so interesting is that people put, you know, established celebrity people or, you know, like, you know, when you're talking about meeting Zig Ziglar, whoever it might be, they put them on a pedestal in a way that they, they think they're not worthy. It's like that Wayne's world. We're not worthy, you know, like, Hmm. And, and it's important not to do that because I think you're doing the person that you're engaging with a disservice. If you go into that, into that conversation and like I called Brene Brown at the start of this year, I don't know whether I told you the story. Mm-mm. I uh, got access to Brene's phone number and on <laughs> that's probably a story in and of itself. And rifling through her garbage. But um, I, uh, I called Brene on the 2nd of January in Melbourne, which is the 1st of January in Texas where she was. And I didn't expect the phone to answer, but she picked up and she said, hi, Brene speaking, and my best southern drawl. And I said, hi, Brene, uh, my name's Laban Ditchburn. I'm a, an upcoming speaker on the subject of escapism, codependency, and shame. I said, I'm a big fan of your work. And I've been told by all my other mentors to surround myself with people that are further down the line than I. And I wondered if you'd be interested in sharing some ideas. So again, going to that, like trying to give something, right? And she said, 
Well, Layman, thanks you. Thank you for your call. She said, "I'm about to sit down and have New Year's Day dinner with my family, but if you'd be so kind as to send me an email, you know, I'll get back to you when I can." And I said, "Thank you so much, Brene." And she gave me her Gmail address, and I um, and so I made a little like one minute video, like a little private um, YouTube link that, that I could just send her, and then sent my bio and <laughs> and and she responded, and she said, well, to "Of me, course." Yeah, like it took a few days. She said, look, Laman, thank you for your email. She said, I, with what I've got going on at university and family at the moment, I don't have the capacity to give this the attention that it deserves. You'll do fantastic. I wish you all the best, Brene. Mm. And, and my mentor, who's a 60-year-old Scottish woman, is a huge diehard fan of Brene Brown, and she just said, Laman, I... I can't believe you just felt like you could ring Brene Brown. Like she was really happy for me. Like she said, I wish that I had the courage to do that. Now I didn't get anything out of Brene, but, but I think I did. And, and what I got was the confidence to then go on and make other phone calls to people like you, Lee, and, oh, and, and to, to facilitate conversations like this that are really meaningful and really fucking helpful to people that might be at a point in their life where they're going, why am I so terrified of everything? And then they see you and they see me and they go, Oh, well, that's not so hard. Is it? Mm. What a great outcome. Thanks, Brene. Shout out. You want to come on the show? Become your own. <laughs> I want to hear you talk more about it. Cause I love that accent you do. That's <laughs> I don't know where I got it from. Maybe we're from watching Dukes of Hazard growing up or something. <laughs> you, you sound a little bit like Daisy Duke, I must say. And, <laughs> I'm wearing, and I mean that, I'm wearing I those mean hot pants now. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't go there. Nobody did. Damn sexy Levin. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, I'm very respectful of your time. This has been a wonderful, wonderful chat. But before we go, is there anything that you would like to share with us story-wise that has been really impactful in any way in your life that you want to share with the audience today? Well, so I'm going back, I'm doing this uh, video series for my kids, right? So I'm not dying. I, at least <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. But I thought, you know what? I want to leave some, some things that I did wrong so that they won't make the same mistakes. So I'm doing, I'm calling, what would Jimmy Buffett do? That's the title of it. And I'm kind of like wearing a tropical shirt. I got this cool background. I'm just talking about some of my greatest failures. And, you know, cause the kids love to hear that stuff. Oh, dad flipped a boat in the ocean. Yeah, I flipped the boat. All right, let me tell you why. And cause I tried to surf away with the boat. What if an idiot does that, right? Stupid. So even though I'm living in the moment for this project, I'm going back to, to learn from my mistakes, or at least to teach my kids. You know, they either become your parents or you become the opposite. I'm hoping they, I live my life as a lesson of what not to do, right? So they're, uh, so doing that um, made me realize at the time, this is, a, when I say this, you're gonna go, oh, I know this, but you know what? I'm gonna say it anyway. Some of my failures were the key turning points in my life. Because if I hadn't failed, it wouldn't have led to something even better. I know that sounds so cliche, but probably a cliche because it's true. And so in going back and looking at some of this stuff at the time, it was horrific. It was tragic. It was awful. And I was thinking, this is the end. All right. 
It's been nice, a nice career. Looks like I'm done. And sure enough, it took me down another road that was even better. So wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever hasn't worked, it's not the end. It's the beginning of something better. That's how I have, after seeing these things pile up, looking in the rearview mirror, it's like a giant accident behind me of mistakes. But some of them were, you know, I made a smaller mistake, made the mistake back when I could have absorbed it. Like if I did the same thing now, it would it'd be worse. You know, a family kid. My, my point is the bad things that happen to you when they're happening seem like they are, it's all consuming. And, and, and you should learn the lesson. Like feel the pain, feel the hurt so you don't do it again. But realize that sometimes those are the best teaching tools. And from that becomes a, a, an opportunity. I, I don't know how else to say it without saying it just like that. I mean, going back in time and thinking about jumping off a 90-foot cliff, you know, who does that? Why? Because someone challenged you. What are you, chicken? Like, I'm not chicken. I'm going. Yes, no. I mean, I survived, but the guy behind me broke his back. I'm not kidding. That could have been me. So that actually was a success. That's one of the better stories. But anyway, I, I should be dead a bazillion times over, but I've somehow I have, I'm alive for some reason. And I think it was to be here with you. That's the reason that I didn't die in, in the plane crash. Cause I, I, I crashed a plane. I flipped a boat. I, I raced cars and crashed into a wall. I've done it all. And yet here I am mildly affected by some of these things, but overall, a better person for it. So there you go. Lee, Don't you wish you didn't ask that question? Like, no, I no, no. One question. I was really. just going to say, it's a pleasure to have Lee James Bond Sibler um, <laughs> on the show today. This was even more entertaining than I knew it was going to be. Thank you for being so frank and honest and authentic. And... I don't know what else to say. I think this has been a really wonderful, wonderful chat. And I just wanted to thank you for your contribution today. Thank you. So thank much. you for, thank you for putting this together. It was, uh, you know, you always know you're doing something the right way at the right time for the right reasons when time goes by like that. And this went by in felt like five minutes. So thank you for being you. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available and not only just bring them on but to develop relationships with them that build into know like and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire you'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience go to podcastingheroes.com it's p-o-d-c-a-s-t-i-n-g-h-e-r-o-e-s.com